0: I want to tell you a story uh, about myself. When I was 12 years old, we'd just got a new kitten. Um, my dad was studying at Bible College, and in the Ridley College um, library, there was a box with a kitten in it, and it said "free to anyone who wants it." And he, his heart went out to this cat, so he brought it home. And for the first few weeks, we, you know, we were playing with our little kid in Tiddles who was white and had two different coloured eyes, like David Bowie. And um, I'd heard that cats always land on their feet when they, when they fall out of trees and, and things like that. So I was in my mum and dad's bedroom and I was ex- playing with that experiment. I was experimenting with that truth. And I was holding Tiddles and I'd throw her and she'd flip and land on her feet. And so I just kept doing it. Little 12-year-old Peter, throw, flip, 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 land. Throw, flip, 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 land. Throw, flip, flip, ow, ah, 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 and broke her leg. And so Tiddles ran out down the kind of hallway with his leg sort of in the air like that. She was like like six weeks old. And I just sort of stood there frozen, Mortified. And so we had dinner, <laughs> and dad sort of got tittles and took it to the vet, and I was just in shock. And I had to go to orchestra practice that night, and the last thing that I heard was she might have to be put down. <laughs> Catherine laughs. <laughs> And um, so I sat there through orchestra rehearsal, two hours, two and a half hours or whatever it was, like feeling this great sense of shame, shame that I could inflict pain, even possibly kill an innocent little animal. I I wasn't so much thinking about the action of what I'd done, (laughs) although I was, but more about who I am as a person. I want to tell you another story about myself. This is ten years later. Oh, eight years later. Eight years later. I was in... When I was at uni, I, when I graduated, I was in a string quartet called the Linus String Quartet. And um, we were good. We, were, we, um, we won awards at uni, the chamber, chamber Music Competition twice. I think we won it twice. And we got um, asked by the Melbourne Festival which is, you know, the big Melbourne festival, the arts festival, to perform in their uh, chamber music series. So that was pretty prestigious and and it was broadcast live on the ABC and all this sort of thing. So we were, you know, we practised hard and and we were also really close friends, all of us. And um, so that went really well. That was about 1998, I think. Then in 99, um, we got asked to do it again. So we were really excited and over summer we'd done a... um, We'd done a work uh, a conference in, at the National Academy of Music, which was prestigious for us back then, and it was all exciting. A few months went by, and, and I hadn't heard anything about when the rehearsals would start. So I, I rang up uh, one of the violinists in the group and said, oh, oh, so when's the rehearsal starting for, for the next concert? And she said, it was silence, and she said, um, oh, I thought I told you, um, we've, we've got another viola player. Oh sorry, sorry, sorry. You know when people do that—that that sort of they—they—they they, they couldn't face up to their, their the confrontation, so they just sort of bypassed it all together. Meanwhile, I'm on the other end of the line, and I was just horrified. Like I was—I was in shock because these were my friends. And you've got to remember, that I was a full-time musician at that stage. Well, that's my whole life, you know. I was, and I, I was like, this is what I want to do. And um, these are my friends. And they've just dropped me from the group and they didn't even tell me. And I've already been telling all my, all my friends that I'm going to be doing this. And again, I felt this great sense of shame that came over me. And it was all about who I am as a person. Because my identity was tied up in, you know... Um, me as a musician and that was who I am and now this is all being called into question I'm asking myself is my life worth what has the last 20 years been worth what I've been investing in and what's my future going to be shame well we're going to talk about shame today Uh, some of you if you're one of the nine million people who look at TED talks would have heard of the famous uh Brene Brown, and um, she is um, a TED Talk megastar and is a specialist in shame. That's what her research is in. Um, And she says that there's actually an epidemic of shame going on in Western culture. And if you look at um, the brokenness in people's behaviour, a lot of it has to do with their shame. With my shame, I had started thinking not... I had made a mistake and now I'm not in the group anymore. I started thinking I am a mistake. And this is what shame does it starts to cause us to question who we are as people. Shame can come from being rejected and humiliated, maybe a relationship that's broken up, you, you, you know, or a friend that's rejected you, a divorce. You get the sack from your job. You fail your exam. You make a professional error with major consequences. Um, I think of the doctors here who stick the knife into people and do surgery and I just think, man, just stick it a bit too far and you'll chop the wrong thing off, you know. Or the people who deal with accounts, you know, in this room, you press the wrong zero or the button or you accidentally click on the wrong thing and suddenly millions of dollars go in the wrong direction. This can lead to our shame. Uh, Brenna Brown's research into shame shows that um, men and women feel it the same, but it's often over different things. So for women, she says that um, women often feel shame around trying to do everything so and appear totally calm to have a successful career, relationship, it's family, beauty, um, and trying to look like it doesn't even break a sweat. And she, she said a lot of the research shows that this is what causes a lot of shame for women because nobody can achieve that. And for men, on the other hand, men tend to feel shame about weakness, so trying not to look weak. And I know that's true for myself, that one of my great fears is letting my family down, letting my wife down, letting my kids down, because I'm not perfect and of course, the other major way we experience shame is through our own sin. Throughout your life, there will have been times when you have done things um, that you are so ashamed of, you are mortified, that you are, you've stopped focusing on the mistake that you made or the sin that you committed, and you're focusing on yourself. And you think, who am I as a sinner? Um, you have a tape playing in your head, that says, who do you think you are? You are such a sinner, you will never be accepted by God. If anybody finds out how bad you are, your life is over. That's what shame can do to us. So as Christian disciples, what we want to do is we want to take a journey from shame to acceptance, from having our identity shaped by our shame to having our identity shaped by our acceptance from God as children of God. Because as Christians, that is our true status. I want us to be able to all say this phrase. Here, here we go. It's a long phrase. I'm not saying you should memorize it, but the gist of this. I was my own worst judge. I used to fear being exposed as unimpressive, unsuccessful, and unimportant. I even sometimes felt small, small, dirty, defiled, wrong and unwanted, just not good enough. But I don't need to feel this shame anymore. I don't need to numb my psychological pain or blame others for my hurts because I know deep inside that God approves of me and loves me as his child. See, to know your true status as a child of God is to be free from your your shame. It's a radical shift in your identity. Into your, in your self-perception. It will affect your whole life in more ways than you can imagine. There's actually clear scholarly academic research to show a link, a correlation between shame and depression and addiction and domestic violence and uh, bullying, suicide eating disorders, so actually working through our shame and coming to a place of acceptance in God as children of God actually is going to affect all of these things. So it's worth it. Uh, Carl Jung famously said, I've been getting into Jung at the moment, don't get into Jung, he'll make you into a heretic, but I've been getting into Jung. And he says this, (laughs) he says, shame is a soul-eating emotion. Shame is a soul-eating emotion, and he's right. He's right. So we need to discover the truth, and that is the truth about ourselves, but the truth about God. And that truth will set us free. And I want you to have hope that you can definitely do something about your shame. But you can only really do it, I believe, with Jesus. The Bible actually gives us an amazing understanding and framework but also solution to our shame and we we had that reading from genesis 3 to show us to get us into that we'll look at that in a second and i do believe therapy is helpful as well seeing a psychologist seeing a counselor is really important especially if they're christian psychologists i believe um i know really good psychologists will be able to integrate your faith but some question it or see it as a a problem sometimes. I've had people tell me that their psychologists have told them that. I think good Christian psychologists can integrate your faith and help you through that. But be, be, even before you do that, starting from today, you need to know the good news of Jesus Christ is the most important truth you need for dealing with shame. I don't want you to hear me wrongly saying that shame is all bad, shame is really important. Actually, uh, if we didn't have shame, we would be shameless. And you don't want to be shameless because that's doing terrible things and not feeling bad about it, and that will cause you to become a sociopath. But also, um, you'll see in the Bible that actually God uses shame to help us. Um, Paul says, actually, one of the worst things you could hear, Paul says in Philippians 3.19, that the enemies of the cross glory in their shame. So let's see what the Bible actually has to say about shame and let's look at Genesis 3. So our reading from Genesis 3 shows that Adam and Eve uh, sinned by eating the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, the, the, the tree which God had said not to eat. And this in, since the time of Augustine, we've called this the fall, this moment when they first sinned. And after this, they were ashamed to stand before God. Uh, they, he, he tested them with obedience and they'd failed. They'd violated his law. And was, they were naked and they felt shame before God. They experienced all kinds of guilt and brokenness all of a sudden. They'd never experienced shame from their nakedness before. So you notice how the sin actually deeply changes the very core of who they are. And I don't think we're supposed to think of their... Nakedness as a sexual thing Sometimes when we read the Genesis story We, we think, oh, sexual sin actually is sort of suddenly there And, and it is there But it's, the nakedness is more than that It's more about suddenly becoming self-conscious And humiliated before God and before each other So you might have had a dream And I've definitely had this dream A lot of my dreams are in Ivanhoe And at Ivanhoe Grammar, where I went to school and, um, you know, I've had this dream where you're in assembly and there's the whole school there and you go on stage and you're naked and you're standing there. And it's not a sexual dream, I, I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm not weird. You might have had... I'm sure you've all had that, uh, had that dream. It's, this, is what the, this is what it's all about. It's, about. it's about standing in front of all your peers and being humiliated and totally transparent and them seeing who you really are and you feeling a sense of shame. you know, there's a reason why totalitarian states they'll strip their, their prisoners naked. It's to shame them and humiliate them as a warning to others. So Adam and Eve suffered the natural consequences of working against their very design, the way God designed them, and they realized they were naked in verse seven. And this is the complete opposite of what we read, or if you had have read, Genesis 2, verse 25, where it says, Adam and Eve had been naked and unashamed. So shame is seen as objectively as that moral state which shines a floodlight on the disgraceful and degrading nature of sin. And subjectively, it's also a psychological thing or emotional consequence that flows from our sin. And they two are related. So now the man and the woman have a powerful, powerful sense of unease within themselves that went to the heart of their being. So we can see with Adam and Eve that shame is actually tied to God's judgment. It is true that sometimes we feel shame for psychologically dysfunctional reasons. We feel shame and we've done nothing wrong. We just judge ourselves. Sometimes we feel shame because of what others have done to us. In 2 Samuel 13, um, you can read of uh, the sexual violence whereby Amnon rapes Tamar and thereby he imposes shame on her. She didn't ask for the shame. She didn't do anything wrong. He shamed her. But in many, perhaps most cases of shame, it is the sense of coming under God's judgment and it is functioning as a moral deterrent against sin. You don't want to sin again because you don't want God to judge you and so shame is sort of lingering around that. So I think we all probably know what shame does to our thought life which is it's not quite, it creates this feeling of not quite right. You, You have a sense that something is wrong with you but you can't necessarily pinpoint it. It makes you feel restless and this restlessness can drive us to try and um, distract ourselves or um, become wild and rebellious or assert our independence or make us a people pleaser to try and push away the shame. Either way, shame causes us to realise that something is wrong with us. It causes us to turn in on ourselves. And it also can cause us to go into a dark corner, into a place of silence, of secrecy of judging ourselves. And what we need is the antidote to shame, which is a God who empathizes with us in our weakness, who reaches out and deals with our shame. And how does God deal with our shame? In the story of Adam and Eve, you see Adam and Eve feeling ashamed and trying to deal with their own shame. So they put on fig leaves. And that sort of is a temporary cover-up, but doesn't really do anything. Sort of a covering over. Then you see God, at the end of chapter 3, showing his grace and mercy and providing them with garments of skin, which is his way of helping them cover up their shame. And this garment of skin from God is a gracious act that actually points forward to Jesus when his death and resurrection was God's way of ultimately providing a garment of righteousness for us, the ultimate clothes that we can put on um, that, that have been created by Jesus to cover over our shame. See, God sent Jesus to fully cover our shame and to remove our sin. See, the ultimate image of shame is the cross. In polite Roman society, crucifixion was so shameful that polite people didn't even mention it it was as if it wasn't happening and so for the the messiah to die on that image of shame was truly shameful it's shameful also because on the cross jesus takes on all of our shame listen to hebrews 12 verse 2 for the joy set before him that is jesus he endured the cross Scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I came up with this phrase for the Bible study for this week, which is this Jesus was shamed onto the shameful cross so that he could remove our shame. And by doing this, he brings us back to God. And so now we can rejoice in this knowledge that we are children of God. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And this is God's act of love to us. This is his way of dealing with his shame. He's like, I know what you've done. I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to include you in my family. And that is the ultimate way of... You can deal with someone's shame. is to love them, to empathize with them, and to show grace to them. But when God does it, it's permanent. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So if you've received Jesus as your Lord, if you believe that he is the Son of God, then you have been forgiven, and you have the right to call yourself a child of God. This is your true identity. No matter what sins you've committed, no matter what sins have been committed to you, no matter how you judge yourself, no matter what, what you've done that's caused you to feel like you're a failure, Jesus has restored you to God. And in our passage from Romans 8, it says this, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves anymore so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you, you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Um, and and this, this kind of phrase, adoption to sonship, is a term referring to the full legal status that the firstborn son would have had in those times. So it applies equally to males and females. And by him it says, we cry, Abba, Father, So you have the new intimacy with God where you can call God um, uh, father, daddy, like in the same way that you might to uh, an earthly father who you have a healthy functional relationship with. And then it says, verse 16, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And then in verses 18 onwards, it goes on to explain that even though you are children of God, yet it can sometimes not necessarily feel like this. Like, in the sense that, we're focusing on the word feel, our lives will be characterized by groaning, it says, by pain and suffering. We will feel the scars of our shame sometimes, even though we are forgiven people, even though our true status is children of God. Maybe we will continue to judge ourselves in error because we're still weak and we're not in heaven yet. But, you know, Jesus died on the cross, rose again 2,000 years ago, and God has not been sleeping since then. He actually... It says in this passage in Romans that he has sent us his spirit. Romans 8:26 The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So the journey from shame to acceptance is not something we do on our own. It's not something that we, you know we have to strive for like some kind of bodybuilder or a marathon runner. Actually, it's something that God does in us. The Holy Spirit works to reshape our identity so that we can fully realise who we are. The Spirit also works to reshape our character so that we can actually live as children of God. And that's one of the things both Jesus and Paul teaches the Christians, the disciples, to make sure you live it out. If you're going to have this new status as children of God, live as children of God and the Spirit works in our character So you will go through different times in your life as a child of God where shame will still come and overwhelm you for different reasons. And even though you know that you're accepted as as a child of God and that Jesus has forgiven you and that he's he's been shamed on the cross of shame to take away our shame, yet you will feel burdened at different times. And it's really normal, okay? Don't think you're a failure as a Christian if you do feel shame. Don't feel like there's something like, oh, God's left you alone and you're now in your shame. That's not true. Human psychology and memory is complex, let me say. Memory does heal sometimes for some people, and sometimes it lingers on like scar tissue for the rest of our lives. And sometimes lingering painful memories can be a positive thing in a weird way, because It might be God's way of deterring us from going back to where we were. But also, lingering painful memories can be crippling, especially when the shame is related to something done to us. We don't want our identity to be shaped more by our shame than it is by the knowledge that we are precious children of God. The New Testament, um, one of the things that I've been thinking about is the fact that it it is psychologically true and one of the things it says is that it says we should confess our sins and psychologists will tell you that one of the best things to do for shame for people who experience shame is to get the truth out it's to get them to articulate what they're feeling shame for and the antidote to this shame is empathy but ultimately empathy from god and forgiveness restoration so if you're a christian you're you know that you're a child of god and this scar tissue of your shame is sort of carrying, is lingering and, and even crippling one thing you can do is to talk to a close christian friend and if it's forgiveness you need articulate what your sins are say it out loud name it in specifics and have your christian friend pray for you maybe you're, you need to be that person for somebody else the confessor, the one to listen You might, be confessing, you might be confessing an idol that you've identified in your life that you need to smash. Secondly, I think, you know, if the, the scar tissue of your shame is lingering on and, and really distracting you and maybe even crippling you, seeing a, a psychologist is really important. So um, my recommendation is Elkanah in Deep Dean. So it's not far from here, about 15 minutes. And also Kareva, which is in Hawthorne. And come and see me if you don't know the details or can't remember what I just said. Um, they're both Christian psychologists there, and I just, I just find that that is a kind of a good path to go down. Uh, last year I saw a psychologist for a few months, as I said last week, and um, it really does make a massive, massive difference. Uh, it has for my life. Third, the third thing you can do, which is a kind of an ongoing thing, is I recommend getting a spiritual director. So often what spiritual directors do is deal with Christians' shame. <laughs> That's one of the things. Um, and at, what a spiritual director do? It will do, it sounds kind of a bit out there, doesn't it? But it's about helping you in your discipleship walk, being an ear. And, and, and they're, they're trained to kind of help you apply the Bible to your life and to help you in your prayer life and in your discipleship walk. I want us to be able to say that we've moved from shame to acceptance i want us to be able to say this i was my own worst judge i used to fear being exposed as unimpressive unsuccessful and unimportant i even sometimes felt small dirty defiled wrong and unwanted just not good enough but i don't need to feel this shame anymore i don't need to numb my psychological pain or blame others for my hurts because i know deep inside that God approves of me and loves me as his child. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much uh, for Jesus who, who was shamed on the cross to deal with our shame, to take away our, our shame. And we thank you that, um, that you've given us your Holy Spirit who, who works inside of us to help us in our weakness, when we're groaning, in our prayers, when we don't have the words, um, to shape our character. And we pray for um, all of us here, especially those who are feeling crippled by their shame, um, that you can minister in those people's lives to help them to know their true identity as children of God. Amen.